Psalm 78. I'm going to read just the, the first, uh, first few verses of Psalm 78. And if you're able to, if you would stand with me as we read God's Word together this morning. Psalm 78, uh, beginning in verse 1. Great passage here, by the way, if we want to think about the, the ultimate goal of parenting, the ultimate goal of, if you're a single person in the church, the ultimate goal of, of being a single person in a church with kids and what, your, what our role is as we think about a community of faith and children. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might, the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and, and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. You may be seated, may God encourage us through his word this, this morning. Father, again, we do just beseech your grace. We understand that uh, this world and even our own hearts do not view children the way that you do. Give us the grace to view and love children like you do. And Father, we pray for children who are in tragic circumstances, that you be gracious to them, care for them as only you can. We pray that you'd allow our church to be a, a place where, where children are loved and cared for, not just because we love these children, but because we love you. That our love for you would be so evident in the way we view the weakest members of our society, our culture, our church. We do love you, and we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Love those pictures of those children that we saw earlier, all the different families and the different kids, and how God has been very gracious as we think about children in our church. But I, I want to ask a question that may seem kind of obvious to you. Um, what makes children so precious? I mean, we know they're precious, but why? You say, well, Daniel, hello, uh, children are precious because children are precious. It's obvious. Yeah, but why? <laughs> why are children so valuable? Why are they so precious? Why do we think that they have so much worth? It's the question that Emily asked in the song that she wrote that we just listened to, and I don't know if you caught what it said at the very beginning, but at the very beginning of the song it says, what is it about life that is so precious? What's our value? What's our purpose on earth? While holding a newborn or watching a life leave, our souls know that there is something unique, and I believe that she's right. Our souls do understand that there's something unique and, and valuable about life but what? Her song continues. Holy God, 
created life. By his breath, we can survive. In his image, we're created. All our days are ordained, made to worship, bringing glory. All our value is claimed in him. That's exactly right. And agreement with that truth radically changes our lives. When we hold a newborn baby in our arms and we look at her tiny hands and her tiny little fingers, if we believe those hands and little tiny fingers were created to bring glory to God, it radically changes what we view about the purpose of that life and about the value of that life and about our responsibility to that life. It it changes everything. As we think about life and the value of life and about how we care and treat the weakest members of our society, understand this. This message that we're talking about this morning, the the sanctity of life and our responsibility to to celebrate the sanctity of life, it is is a message that we discuss every year on this Sunday, the Sunday preceding January 22nd, which is the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Now, some would argue that this is a, uh, an issue that the church should not engage in, that it's a political issue, and because as we talk about abortion and about the culture of life and, and all those things in our society, those are political issues, and, and we should let politics handle that, and inside the church, we, we shouldn't talk about things that are political in nature, and, and I, would, I would say this. In fact, uh, every year, it, almost every year, we have some people who... Uh, don't return to Bethany uh, after this Sunday because they find this message very uh, offensive. Now, I would argue this. This issue, this issue regarding culture of of life is also a theological issue. And God's people need to understand rightly that the purpose of life and the value of life and our responsibility to life, we need to understand those things in a theological sense and because it affects how we understand God and his, his call in our life. And as we understand those things, it, it can't help but change the way that we view our culture. It's not surprising that things would sometimes cause controversy. After all, in this, this passage that we're looking at in Acts 7, the first person who preached this message in Acts 7, it cost him his very life. And so as we talk about these things, we know that there is cost, right? As we believe these things and teach these things, we know that there is a cost, and yet we know that these messages of of God's grace and his call on our lives are crucial to understand. As we look at this this passage, it's important for you to grasp these truths for, for a couple reasons. One, your obedience to God when it, you want to be obedient to God when it comes to how to care for children, you want to be obedient to God when it comes to how to care for children. So these are things we need to talk about. When we come to a passage like Luke 18, it says that people were bringing their even infants to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. If you want to be obedient to God in your life and, and, and do what God has called you to do, 
you need to love children. You need to care for children. You need to be engaged in ministry to children. And if you're not, you're being disobedient, and you don't want to be disobedient. And so this is an important message for you to hear. But it's important even at a deeper level. I would argue this morning that your enjoyment of God himself is dependent on how you treat and love children. It's not just a matter of being obedient, doing the right thing, because God says, do the right thing. But if you don't view children as valuable and love them and treat them the way that God would treat them, you don't have the heart of God. I believe one of the implications of, of what we just read in Luke 18 is that, that the, the king, you don't understand the kingdom of God and your participation in the kingdom of God may be in jeopardy because you haven't rightly understood the heart of God and your heart hasn't been transformed. It is essential to your enjoyment of God that you view children as God views them and love children the way that God loves them. In fact, that the central idea that I'm going to, to try to, to convince you of this morning is that the embrace of the glory of God leads to the embrace of children. And it is an assault on the glory of God that motivates an assault on children. In fact, assaulting the glory of God cannot help but leading to assaulting children in a variety of ways. But I want you to see, embracing the glory of God, loving God, embracing the glory of God cannot help but leading to embracing of children. Embracing the glory of God leads to an embrace of children. What I want us to do is go through Acts 7. And we're going to look at, at Acts 7, and there, there's a lot happening here. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 is, is doing what uh, we did over the fall. He's just doing it a lot more quickly. Uh, he's giving a big picture of God's story of redemption as found in the Old Testament. He's going to draw on four stories that take place throughout the Old Testament and, and show how God's overarching plan of redemption has come about. Now, why is he doing this? He's doing this because at the end of Acts chapter 6, he's accused of violating the law of Moses and of blaspheming God and, and not having proper respect for the temple. There's, there's really two primary charges. They're, they're saying that he's attacking Moses and he's attacking the temple. And so what Stephen is going to try to do as he goes through Acts 7, he's, go, he's going to try to address those two charges. And so what you and I are going to do is we're going to see how he addresses those two charges in Acts chapter 7, this, this long sermon. And we're going to see what he said. We're going to read a lot, actually, so I hope, you know, track with me. We're going to read a lot from Acts chapter 7. We're going to see what he says about Abraham and about Joseph and about Moses and about David in those time periods. As we do that, we're going to see the big picture of God's plan of redemption and how Stephen says he falls in line with that plan of redemption, how he's in adherence to it. As we do that, as we read through Acts 7, I, I want you to pay special attention to the role of children in Acts 7. And the idea of, you're going to see words like children and offspring and fathers, and I want you to see the importance that, that children play in relationship to God's plan of redemption. And there are a lot of themes that we could focus on as we talk about Acts 7. We could spend a lot of time on Acts 7, but, 
this morning, after we've walked through Acts 7, we're going to just draw some themes, some principles, as it relates to the specific issue of how children are important to God's plan of redemption, okay? I think you're going to see some beautiful things about children and about our responsibility to children as, as we do this. But first, big picture, we're going to spend a, quite a deal of time walking through Acts 7 so we get the, the big picture of what's going on. So uh, here it is. Again, uh, Stephen has been accused of, uh, he was teaching in the synagogue, by the way, and, and he was accused by some people who were in that synagogue of blaspheming God, of attacking Moses, attacking the temple, and the chief priest, the high priest says, okay, how do you respond? Beginning in verse 2, we see Stephen's response. He says this, Brothers and fathers, hear me. It begins with Abraham. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham became the father of Isaac. And circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. We begins with this story of Abraham, which is where God begins this, this work of working through the people of Israel, the sons of Abraham. God begins this, this plan of redemption in a special way in the life of Abraham. And so Stephen takes us to that moment, and as he begins to describe God's plan of redemption, he talks about how God promised these things to Abraham that we've talked about before, land, seed, blessing. But there's a problem we see in verse 5. God's promised him land, but no land, no inheritance yet. He's promised him offspring that are going to create this, this blessing, and yet what's the problem? No offspring, no child. This isn't a problem for God, and we see that God provides Abraham a child, and this, this, even the covenant of circumcision is this, this, this covenant uh, sign that reveals that, that children are going to participate in God's future promise. And God, Abraham becomes the father of Isaac in verse 8. It's this exciting thing, this arrival of this child, and he, he circumcises him. He, he allows him to, to be a part of this covenant promise. And then there's Isaac, and Isaac becomes a father, and Jacob becomes a father, and there's, there's children, there's this God preserving his promise. That's Abraham. Then he tells the story, the story of Joseph. What's the problem in the story of Joseph? Well, the patriarchs are jealous of Joseph. They, they sell him to Egypt, away from the promised land. God is with him. He rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan. And great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. What's the problem? The problem is, once again, this promise that was made to Abraham is in danger. The covenant promise to Abraham is in danger because the, the children are in danger. The fathers die off, there's no more kids. The children die off, there's no more promise to Abraham. 
He talks about God's faithfulness through that. Then we come to the time of Abraham. I'm sorry, to the time of, uh, of uh, after Joseph. We, we come here to the time of Moses. Look at verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased. What is that? Kids. There's children. They multiplied in Egypt. Until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. And look at verse 19, his attack on this Abrahamic covenant. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so they would not be kept alive. And at this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses instructed was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. And it talks about Moses and, and his attempts to deliver the people from the hand of, of Pharaoh and to, to rescue them, and they don't respond to him. They do not receive his, his message of deliverance. And in verse 29, it says that Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look at it, there came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them, and now come and I will send you to Egypt. And so we see in this, this, so there's the story of Abraham, and then of Joseph, and then here in the story of Moses, God sees his people in danger in a, a place that's not the land he's promised, and the children are in danger, the blessings in jeopardy, and so God brings deliverance through Moses. But there's another problem. There's another problem in Moses' story. The people do not receive Moses' ministry. Verse 39, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idols and were rejoicing, not in God, but were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Then later we come to the story of David. The end of verse 45, so it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a, a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon, David's son, who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Some people, have, they've, as they've come to Stephen's speech, have said, well, this is kind of a rambling speech. And that's true if you don't see God's big plan of redemption in the Old Testament. As we talked about in the fall, sometimes we come to the Old Testament and we see, okay, here's a story about Moses, and here over here is a story about Abraham, over here is a story about David, over here is a story about Adam and Eve, here's Noah. 
And we don't see this is all part of the same narrative. God's great plan of redemption. His establishing of, of his kingdom and establishing that kingdom through the means of redemption. And what Stephen is doing is he's showing how, beginning with Abraham, God had this plan of redemption and how God is bringing that plan of redemption about. And as we see him talking about that plan of redemption, we see that there are always those through whom God is working and there are always those who are opposing God's kingdom. We see that there are constant dangers to the kingdom of God. And Stephen brings it all home in verses 51 and following. He's, he's talking to these people. He's gone through this long uh, description of Israel's history. And he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. There's two charges against him. Attacking the law of Moses and attacking the temple. At the very end, he helps them understand, look, you guys totally misunderstood the purpose of the temple. The temple is not to be worshipped itself. God is the one who's to be worshipped. And before that, he goes through, in the other stories, he's he's saying, look, here's how I'm in line with God's great plan of redemption. And he's saying, there have always been those who resist the Holy Spirit's work in bringing about redemption through Christ. There are always those who resist God's plan of redemption, the Holy Spirit's work to bring about redemption through the person of Jesus Christ, there is always a kingdom who is resistant to God's kingdom, and you are part of it, he tells his accusers. Just like the prophets were murdered by those who oppose God's plan of redemption. Just like Pharaoh murdered the infants to oppose God's plan of redemption unknowingly, so you have proven yourself to be right in line with this other kingdom that opposes God's. They killed the prophets announcing the Holy One. You killed the Holy One. And God confirms that Stephen is part of his kingdom. As Stephen is murdered, it says that he saw, verse 55 says, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Just as Abraham had seen the God of glory, now Stephen sees the God of glory. That's the big picture. That's what I want you to see as we look at Acts 7. Big picture, there's this plan of redemption. There's these these kingdoms, and God is establishing his kingdom. He's establishing that kingdom through the plan of redemption. And there's this other kingdom. This other kingdom is always opposing God's kingdom. Now let's draw some principles. That's the big picture. Let's draw some principles from that that are going to relate to children and what we're talking about this morning. Here's the first principle that I want you to see. The first principle that I want you to see is that the goal of God's redemptive plan is worship. 
the goal of God's redemptive plan is worship. As we look at all that, that Stephen is, is saying, we see that ultimately what God is trying to do is he's trying to bring worshipers to him. Habakkuk, we've looked at before, Habakkuk 2.14, the, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In the book of Numbers, is, uh, God is, is dealing with the people of Israel. They've, they failed to follow Moses in the way that they're supposed to and enter the promised land. And and God talks about what he's doing in the lives of the people of Israel. He says, I've, I've pardoned according to your word, Moses, but truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. God's purpose in life is, is to bring about worshipers. The goal of the redemptive plan is, is not our own, uh, not simply our own um, things in life that we desire. It's, it's not trying to appease some aspect of, of what we desire, in, in our, especially in our sinful state. The, the goal of God's plan of redemption is that we would become worshipers. The goal of God's redemptive plan is worship. I mentioned before that there was an article I read that was, was very interesting to me. It was called The Opt-Out Generation. It appeared in the New York Times uh, this, this past summer, the opt-out generation once back in. This article in the New York Times talks about moms who had found dissatisfaction in the workplace and had, had left the workplace, and now they're at home and were finding dissatisfaction at home and wanting back in the workplace. And it's just a very sad, sad article as you read their interviews with husbands and wives and just how both husbands and wives didn't find joy in the workplace and they weren't finding joy at home and just, just dissatisfaction with life in general. What do we see? We see that God has designed us not to find satisfaction in work, ultimately not to find satisfaction ultimately in our, even in our home lives, but ultimately our satisfaction is found in Him and in worshiping Him, and that flows into the other areas of our life, right? So the goal of God's redemptive plan, the first thing that I want us to see, the goal of God's redemptive plan is worship. And if we don't understand that as God's plan of redemption, the reason He has a relationship with us, nothing else is going to make sense. The second thing that I want us to see is to think about children and God's redemptive plan then. The goal of God's redemptive plan is worship, but the means of God's redemptive plan is children. It's not the only means of God's redemptive plan, but one of the means by which God is bringing forth this plan of redemption is through children. It's through children. As we look at Acts chapter 7, that truth is inescapable. God deals with Abraham, and, and a, a central part of God's promise to Abraham is, is children. In the story, whenever Abraham becomes a father in verse 8, it's the culmination of, of this beginning of God's revelation of his redemptive plan through Israel. It's, it's the birth of Isaac. Isaac is important because he becomes the father of Jacob. Jacob is important because he becomes the father of the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, children are important in the story of Joseph because it's the, the next generation that's in danger as they leave and find themselves in Egypt. And before that, as they find themselves in this time of great affliction, no food. In the time of Moses, it's children, in, it's people increasing, it's this, there's this hopeful notice as God's promise of children 
begins to take fruition. There's people increasing, there's multiplication. And then verse 19 represents what I believe is one of the most crucial verses in in this text where it says that the, the Pharaoh dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so they would not be kept alive. Now, is that verse just helping us see what a terrible person Pharaoh is? Is that, look, hey, this is how bad Pharaoh is, and so you can see why the people would want to leave Egypt. That's a true statement, but I don't believe that's the full theological significance of what is taking place in verse 19. Pharaoh, as opposed to the glory of God, even if it's unknowingly, and one of the means of squelching God's redemptive plan or attempting to, assaulting it, is the destruction of these children. We'll come back to that. What I see here is that the means of God's plan of redemption involves children. We see it in Moses' story as, as it talks about the birth of his own children as well. And, and we go through and we see the, uh, constantly through this chapter the idea of the, the, our fathers, our fathers, and, and how we are fulfillment of, of what was promised to our fathers. Solomon becomes the fulfillment of what was promised to his father, David. Children, children are a crucial part of God's redemptive plan. There's a couple principles there, right? First of all, it means, and I think this is really important for us to understand, and this isn't just for parents, this is, this is for, for all of us, be us you know, singles without children or couples without children, or you know, all, of us, uh, all of us need to grasp these important truths because all of us are part of this community of faith that we encounter in Psalm 78 that, that has this responsibility to pass on the things of God to the next generation. First of all, we see that God sovereignly gives children for the purpose of advancing his kingdom. God sovereignly gives children not for you to pursue whatever ends in and of yourself you desired for children, but God has sovereignly entrusted children to you, perhaps as a couple or to us as a church. God has sovereignly given us children to advance his kingdom. And I believe it's also important for us to realize that idolatry, not worship, idolatry, not worship, often drives the decisions we make for our children. Idolatry, not worship, often drives how we direct our children. You say, well, Daniel, what do you, what do you mean? Let me, just give you, let me just give you one example. Perhaps you have a child, and this child is high school age, and you believe the, the best thing for that child is, is to pursue college. You come alongside your, your child and you begin to talk about this, this child's future and what motivates your desire for that path for your child. And as you talk with your child about that path that they're going to walk, perhaps college, what's motivating that decision? Oftentimes, I would suggest to you, and, and, and maybe this is wrong, in your life, but oftentimes as we think about how we're directing our children, what's motivating us is, is not, hey, I believe this is the best path for you to advance the kingdom of God. I believe that if you go to college and you do this and you get this training, it's the best way for you to advance the kingdom of God. Oftentimes that's not what's motivating our conversations with our children. Instead, 
We want them to go to college for, for whatever it is for different reasons. I want you to go to college so that you'll make a lot of money. I believe that, that happy, what we're saying is I believe that happiness is found in accumulating a lot of this kingdom, uh, the kingdom of this world. And so I want you to go to college so you can have all the access to this kingdom that you can. I want you to go to college so that you'll receive the, the praise of other people. I want you to go to college because that's what people do that, that get ahead in life, in this area of life, and that's what I want for you. And so, again, my suggestion to you, as we talk with our children about the future, what is often motivating our desires for our children are not the advancement of the kingdom of God, but, but idolatrous desires, and we're teaching our children to be idolaters. Someone told me a story recently about a child who was writing a paper for school, and this, this child wanted to talk about uh, the, the evils of abortion. The parents came alongside and said, no, don't do that. <laughs> you might not get a very good grade. You might kind of run afoul with this teacher if she doesn't believe the same things you do. Now, I don't know that the whole situation and everything that was, that was uh, impacting all the conversations with that parent and child, but, but I do know this, oftentimes our desire is to keep children from, from times of discomfort because we don't see them as those to whom God has given us for the purpose of advancing his kingdom. God may ask some of the children whom he's entrusted to the care of Bethany Community Church to be martyrs. God may ask some of the children that he's entrusted to our care to be martyrs for his name. It's a sobering thought. But just as you have been entrusted with the message of the kingdom of God, so have your children by God's grace as he brings them to faith in himself. No matter what, he's going to certainly call your children to costly worship. He will certainly call the children of this church to costly worship. What are we doing to prepare our children for that costly worship? How are we preparing them for costly worship? It's a very difficult thing for us to think through, I believe, as we consider the children he's entrusted to us. So, there's the as we think about that, that's the, the means of God's redemptive plan. We've seen the, the goal of God's redemptive plan, the means of God's redemptive plan. Now we see the assault on God's redemptive plan, and that assault is destruction. Destruction of children. Destruction of those who are weakest in our culture. An important question to ask as is, is we look at Acts 7 is, is why was Stephen attacked? And, and why were the prophets attacked? And, and why did Pharaoh attack children? What motivates that attack? And, and what, what motivates that attack today? And again, what I would suggest to you is that a person who embraces the glory of God embraces children, and a person who assaults the glory of God is going to be a person who inevitably assaults children in, in both physically and in, in both in, in a physical or a spiritual sense. God's people love God and must love children. If you don't love God and his glory, the, the consequence is an attack on children, which is going to manifest itself in a variety of ways. It's an evil, demonic, and is 
verse 19 puts it, a shrewd scheme of the enemy to stop the development of future worshipers. See, if the goal of God's redemptive plan is worship, and one of the means of accomplishing God's redemptive plan is children, then what we see is that children are these future worshipers. It's the next generation that's going to know and, and, and celebrate the things of God. As we read in Psalm 78, uh, verse 4, we're not going to hide the things of God from our children. We're going to tell them to the, com- the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Verse, four, verse 6, that the next generation might know them. The children, and I believe this is a crucial truth as well, the children yet unborn arise and tell them to their children so they should set their hope in God. So we understand the purpose of children. We see this is part of God's mean of redemptive, part, part of God's, the means of accomplishing God's redemptive plan. We see these children as, as future worshipers. Those that we're entrusting with the truths of God so that someday from their mouths can, can come this, this proclamation of God's glory and his beauty, and his splendor. And if you're not excited about the glory of God, you're certainly not excited about children proclaiming the glory of God. I believe that Satan hates children because he hates God. And saints love children because they love God. We think about how this destruction of our children takes place, and it takes place in a myriad of ways. Obviously, this morning is a Sanctity of Life Sunday. We think about a culture in which abortion exists, in which the lives of children are not deemed valuable because God created them. There's a host on a news network that over the summer said this, When does life begin? I submit the answer depends an awful lot on the feelings of the parents. A powerful feeling, but not science. When does life begin? Well, for this person, part of this culture, they said, well, life begins when a parent says it does. How how does a parent feel? Now, if if that's what you believe about life and about the preciousness of life, that's going to influence greatly how you believe children should be treated. But if you say, no, 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 Uh, children are are potential future future worshipers, and and a child's life has has dignity and value and is is, is has. That's the sanctity of life because God is the creator of life and God gets to decide when life begins and the purpose of life and the existence of life. It radically, it radically changes your views on so many things. But it's not just, it's not just the physical assault on, on children and the lack of protection a person who doesn't believe in the glory of God exhibits toward children. It's also a, a spiritual attack. There's destruction through immorality. As we think about the, 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 the culture of immorality that our children exist in and that, that many people say our children need to exist in this type of culture and be exposed to these things. And there's also a, a culture of materialism. A culture of materialism says, hey, this material world is, is where it's at and, and where you should be striving. And, and this culture of materialism, this culture of immorality is also destructive to the souls of our children. Destruction through physical means, through spiritual means, all these things an assault on God's redemptive plan. And children are the pawns who are attacked by the enemy. And, quite frankly, sometimes by those who would claim to be part of God's redemptive plan as well. 
In fact, maybe this will be encouraging to you. As you look at the lives of these people who are highlighted in Acts 7, they didn't treat children perfectly either. And maybe you think about your past, there have been some times where you think, I, I have assaulted God's redemptive plan through the, the, the physical or the, the, the spiritual destruction of children. There, there have been things in my life that, that assaulted God's redemptive plan as I, I haven't treated children the way that he's called me to. Neither did the people that Stephen highlights here. Abraham doesn't believe God's promise perfectly and tries to accomplish God's redemptive plan differently than God's called him to at moments. Joseph, at, at one point, there's, there's a point where he doesn't understand God's redemptive plan, and he doesn't, you know, uh, his, his father's trying to bless his children, and, and Joseph tries to stop his father blessing the children the way that he's doing, he tries to move his hands, and, and, and Jacob said, no, 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 you don't understand. Moses has some issues with his children and his wife and that relationship. David, as we know, David struggled greatly to discipline his children the way that God would have him do. That brings us to the last thing I want you to think as you think about God's redemptive plan in children, and that's the embrace of God's redemptive plan is, is hope. It's hope. We live in a culture that doesn't value life. We live lives in which we don't value children the way that we should, and, and, and God's message is a message of hope. Stephen was not a perfect person, right? And yet God brings him into relationship with him and allows him to see the, the totality of his, his redemptive plan, and, and Stephen enters into the kingdom of God. God's redemptive plan is, is a plan of, of mercy. Each of these people, Moses and Joseph and, and David and Abraham, all of them had struggles, and we see God working through them this message of hope. The person who loves God is going to love children, and God is going to, to graciously work in our lives to improve our ability to care for and, and love children. The proclamation of the gospel to children is one of the primary concerns of the church, and so we engage in this gospel proclamation ministry to the children. Love of God compels us to love children, to proclaim to them the gospel of hope, a message of hope that we have received, we now pass on to the next generation. There's a lot of application here. What this means is we think about how the embrace of the glory of God leads to an embrace of children, an assault on the glory of God leads to an assault on children. What this means is it means we have to, re first of all, we have to reject the assault on children that's abortion, right? And, and, and a variety of forms. We reject the assault on children physically, we, re re we, re we reject the spiritual assault on children that's immorality and a celebration of materialism. We re reject that in our own lives. We embrace children uh, through orphan care. As a church, as Bethany Community Church, as, as you know, we are a church that passionately loves God, and because we passionately love God, we are passionate about ministry to the fatherless. This means that we are passionate about adoption. It means that we are passionate about foster care. It means we are passionate about working in families across the globe, across the nation, to prevent children from becoming fatherless as well. If you want more information about how to care for the fatherless through adoption, through foster care, through global orphan care, I just encourage you to, there's a table out there and to sign up for some more 
information. We're going to have a Bible study here in a few weeks as well, a few months, and so I encourage you to participate in that if you haven't. We embrace children through orphan care. We, we embrace uh, children through uh, caring for at-risk children in our community. We embrace children at Bethany Community Church by passionately serving as God has called us to in children's ministry. It should be the case that the children's ministries at Bethany Community Church are the most well-staffed of any ministry in our church because we love children so deeply. And all the nursery workers said amen, right? All those in charge of signing up nursery workers. We love children because we love God. Because we love God, we cannot help but love children. Why children? Why are children so great? Why are children so precious? Why is life of meaning? What what is sanctity of life? The children that God has entrusted to us are are worshipers. Some of them are future worshipers. We're excited about God's redemptive plan and the goal of worship. We're excited about the means of God's redemptive plan and and, 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 uh, using children to bring about his glory we are concerned about the assault on God's redemptive plan through an assault on children. And yet, in the midst of that, in the midst of dark times, we rejoice and embrace God's redemptive plan as we think about the hope of the gospel that we proclaim to children. That Jesus Christ is the culmination of all the promises of the Old Testament. All of God's promises of redemptive plans are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And that, that children, that adults, that all can come to embrace God by placing their faith alone in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your redemptive plan as found in your son Jesus. Give us hope in him and grace to proclaim that message to others, especially our children. We love you and pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.